Standing in a self-serve checkout line at a grocery store, the toddler sat upon Dad's shoulders, counting the grocery items as they were being scanned. Requiring both hands to move a particular staple through the scanner, the toddler's ankles were left free to move about as they pleased. Delighted to feel such newfound freedom, the toddler kicked back without assessing the six feet between his head and the floor below. After all, he was just a toddler. Feeling the weight leaving his shoulders, Dad instantaneously freed his left hand to catch his son's ankle just before the toddler's head hit the ground. Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 45th episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. detail, historical context that puts you in the action. It was an amazing save made by an attentive dad. Throughout the ages, dads and moms alike repeatedly have made such saves to rescue their children out of harm's way. Why? Well, I know it's an obvious question with an obvious answer. Because they care. As we get into today's narrative, my hope is that you're able to capture the hearts of both Paul and Barnabas. Why would they risk their lives to go back to the cities where they were nearly killed? For the same reason mothers or fathers would place their own lives at risk to rescue their children from danger, Paul and Barnabas head right back into Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch Pisidia to install leaders within each fledgling assembly of Jesus' followers. While keeping things low-key, they return to each city to train the Jesus' followers. What are they addressing? Well, most pressing was the reality of persecution for anyone who sought to pursue after Jesus. This was true for Paul, especially as he explained how the Mosaic Law was being replaced by the New Covenant promises. If persecution happened to Paul and Barnabas, then those who carried the same torch could expect the same maltreatment. Paul said it well when he said, We must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Later on to an older Timothy, the young man Paul first meets right here in Lystra, he warns the future leader to simply expect hardship as a lifestyle. Much like mothers or fathers who sacrifice much to parent their children, Paul instructs Timothy to expect in kind. He says it this way, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, that is Pisidia, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and impostors will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Know that they are true. Know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.10-15 So buckle up as we feel the weight of Paul's and Barnabas's burdens to adequately prepare future leaders, who are like spiritual toddlers, in the infancy of the new church age. And with that, 
Let's get started. While knocking on a door, Barnabas looks around to see if anyone might be coming. He knocks again. A shrill voice yells out from the other side of the door, Timothy, go see who that is. I've got my hands full. Timothy, can you hear me? Go get the door. The front door creaks open, and a younger teenaged boy stands to see Paul and Barnabas in front of him. Whoa, you're back. Not seeing who is on the other side of the door, Timothy's mother, Eunice, starts speaking as she approaches Timothy from behind. Timothy, are you going to just stand there, or are you going to invite these? She catches herself. Oh, my Lord. She then places her hand over her mouth to hide her astonishment. Barnabas waves. Hi, Eunice. We're back. I should say you are, Eunice replies. She then looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, move out of the way so these two are not left standing out in the open. Pulling Barnabas and Paul in by their garments, she says, You need to come in right away and stay out of sight. You two are, well, celebrities here, but not in a good way. Looking both over, Eunice attends to Paul, who continues to heal. Let's have a look at you. She then turns to face Barnabas and says, Where have you been? Have you been treating his wounds? These could have been infected without the right treatment. Have you eaten? Paul raises both hands and says, Eunice, we're fine. We're okay. He looks at Barnabas and continues, Actually, we're doing quite well. Where did you go after, well, you know, what happened to you here? Eunice asks. Barnabas interjects, We headed off to Derby, and there we saw the Lord change a lot of hearts. Eunice's eyes widen as she says, Really? They were more receptive to you there? Yes, and not a single rock, Paul jokes. There was the one, though, Barnabas teases. I was about to throw it at him because he droned on and on and on. Eunice snorts, which causes everyone to laugh. Paul looks back at Barnabas and says, Oh, and this comes from the one who was conveniently absent when the rocks were being hurled at me. Ooh, Eunice says while turning back to Barnabas. I had something come up, Barnabas responds demurely. He then laughs. Walking over to another room, Eunice brings a plate of bread, oil, and fruit for them and says, Here, eat. Helping themselves to the food, Paul and Barnabas thank their gracious hosts while devouring what's in front of them. How long are you staying? Eunice asks. Lois would love to see you. We're not sure, Barnabas shares. We're here for a reason, though. This gets Eunice's attention. Oh, what reason is that? Barnabas responds. Well, we didn't quite leave the way we wanted to. I should say you didn't, Eunice says with a tone of grief. Yet we saw much promise with several here in the city that were very interested in learning more about Jesus, Barnabas responds. When the man, um... Tariq, Eunice says. Yes, Tariq, Barnabas goes on. When he was healed, we knew God was up to something here. So we knew we needed a return to see it through. Nodding, Paul picks up where Barnabas leaves off. Yeah, God is most interested in changing your hearts and accomplishing his deepest desires through you right here in Lystra and beyond. But that requires teaching and an ongoing reliance upon the Spirit of God who wishes to make his home in your hearts. Oh my, Eunice replies. I guess I don't understand what you're saying. Well, that's why we've come back, Barnabas replies, to help you see what God has done by introducing you to the risen king who will finally sit upon David's throne. He's come, Eunice asks. 
we've been taught all of our lives to expect this, but you just figured it was a story, Paul knowingly smiles. Well, yeah, Eunice says. I kind of figured that God forgot about us. Barnabas reaches for Eunice's hands and exclaims, Eunice, that's why we're here. That's why we've come back, to take time to explain these things to you and others here in Lystra. He then looks at the size of the room and then over at Paul. What do you think? He asks. Will this work? It's big enough, Paul says. What, say 20 to 30 people? He then looks into Eunice's eyes. Would you be okay... Way ahead of him, Eunice calls out while pointing to another side of the room. Timothy, make preparations for our guests. They will need a place to stay, and they're throwing a party for the town. Go place some bedding right over there. Walking near the bottom of a ravine on their way to Iconium, Barnabas reflects on the regular gathering started back in Lystra. Well, that just happened, he says. Taking in the steep and barren hillside to the left, Paul comes to attention and responds, What just happened? Barnabas turns to look back in the direction of Lystra and says, We've just spent about a month to teach, train, and ready a gathering of believers to fend without us. He shakes his head. That's crazy. Do you think they're going to be able to keep this all together? It's painful to think about, Paul says. I wish we could stay, but we can't be everywhere, you know. Hopefully the leaders we've installed will stay grounded by better knowing Jesus. I do wonder what we will find ahead in Iconium and Pisidia, Barnabas says. Will they even remember us? Paul laughs. Oh, they'll remember us. Yeah, that and the bullseyes the town has since fastened to their backs. Barnabas teases. You do have a certain way with people. Hey, Paul retorts. Suffering hardship is to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. That goes with the territory. You know I don't wish harm for any of these folks, right? Smiling, Barnabas responds as he mimics throwing a rock. No, but what is it about you that gives others the urge to want to do this at you? My good looks, Paul jokes. Oh yeah, that's it. They're trying to chisel you like a sculptor, Barnabas teases as he closely looks Paul over. Well, if that's the goal, they might need some art classes. Hey now, Paul laughs. No need to get unpleasant. Changing the subject, Barnabas then says, I'm curious to see what we might find in Iconium, though. They were very receptive in the synagogue, just like they were in Pisidia. They were for a time, Paul agrees. Hopefully, the messages we gave will be remembered positively enough to offset the reaction from the local city and synagogue leaders. No doubt running us out of those towns like they did left a negative impression. Agreed, Barnabas says. Though for those who came to know us up close and personally, well, I think they might think differently. I really hope that's the case. But folks can easily become swayed, especially when we're no longer around, Paul replies. That's why we need strong, spirit-directed leadership in these places. But even that's problematic for Iconium and Pisidia, just as it is in Derby and Lystra. Barnabas looks puzzled. Why? he asks. Well, consider our options, Paul replies. For those who have strong Jewish backgrounds, they will have a hard time parting from the well-defined boundaries found in the law, ever aiming to reintroduce those boundaries to those who offend them, which will be about just every Gentile they work with. And those who are not Jewish simply don't know what they don't know. We saw this back in Antioch of Syria, right? 
Those with Jewish backgrounds have tried to reassimilate some Mosaic laws back into the church. Circumcision was one example, but certainly not the only one. Remember fighting that issue back there? Why? Well, because there are a bunch of Gentiles running around steeped in sin who don't realize they're in sin. In response, those with Jewish backgrounds tend to become impatient and aim to reintroduce a system of law that they themselves could not uphold, ever tightening the constraints of human behavior, all the while thinking that God is growing happier with them with each returning law. Paul catches his breath and says, Barnabas, following the Spirit of God is to head into uncharted waters here. Comparatively, obeying the law is so much easier to do. It's clearly defined. But Jesus has changed all of this by bringing new wine to the table. The old wineskins simply can no longer handle the pressure. Barnabas nods. You said it. You mentioned this when we were leaving Derby too, but what can you do, what can we do to emphasize life in the Spirit versus becoming better law abiders? Paul shakes his head. Hey, that's the big question, right? We have to yell something like this from the rooftops. The law only condemns those who follow and break it. God's reward comes to those who chase after Jesus. The Spirit of God then changes those who seek Jesus out from the inside out. Only those who aim to connect with God can be miraculously changed, Paul responds. We have to drive this point home and trust they will be able to understand the difference. You're right, Barnabas says. It seems so subtle, but it makes for all the difference in the world, Paul interjects. We love definition, but once we go down that road to live within that definition, we become insatiable with the need to further define what we can do and what we can't. We think that by our ever-tightening tendency to further define and follow the rules that somehow God becomes happier with us. Eventually, we get so constrained by do's and don'ts that we paint ourselves in a corner and scorn anyone who pushes against the defined boundaries that we ourselves created. I get what you're saying, but didn't God give us the definition in the first place? Barnabas asks. He did, Paul replies. The law of Moses revealed our constant need for God. We couldn't always uphold it, so in our frequent breaches... God was hoping that we would see how our hearts are self-serving. Furthermore, what started out as simple and straightforward has become convoluted over time. In an effort to keep others from breaking the law, we interpreted and reinterpreted the law so as to create additional laws for people to follow, full well knowing that they would be inclined to break those laws as well, which of course brought on more laws, more definition. Paul shakes his head. It's lunacy. Where does it stop? We think that by creating more rules, people will finally stop breaking the heart of God. Ironically, this process of ever adding more laws will always motivate humanity to find loopholes in an effort to break them. Doesn't that reveal the internal workings of human motivation? And to add, we who interpret the existing laws to better define them only contribute to the further condemnation of others around us, Barnabas summarizes. More definition means more condemnation. It's kind of a vicious cycle. Well, that was me in a nutshell, Paul says with a grimace. And we run the risk of seeing the same thing happen here in these cities if we don't champion life in the spirit like we need to. I cringe to think what we will find back in Antioch of Syria upon our return. 
Barnabas shrugs and says, hey, this isn't your burden to carry alone. There are many of us who champion Jesus and the arrival of the new covenant promises right alongside of you, brother. Furthermore, you're going to have to trust God to see this through. Sighing, Paul says, you're right. I know you're right. Well, we're going to stop here for today. No doubt, as Paul and Barnabas make their way back through the cities where they were nearly killed, they were motivated by the pressing issue of making sure that those fledgling churches they started didn't turn into new versions of Judaism. Unfortunately, this is exactly the problem Paul would write about to the churches here in modern-day Turkey. In his letter to the Galatians, which is this whole general area, Paul shares his dismay about the very issue of the Mosaic Law creeping its way back into the assembly of Jesus followers. As new wine destroys old wineskins, living life as a spirit-directed Jesus follower renders the law as unnecessary. Here's what Paul says in response to what is happening in the church in Roman Galatia in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1-5. through O foolish Galatians! Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed in the message you heard about Jesus. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. The same sentiment is echoed in Hebrews chapter 8, where the author explains the huge difference between life under the law and life in the Spirit. In Hebrews 8.13, the author so eloquently spells it out for us. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Again, just as old wineskins are thrown away after their use, new wineskins are required for new wine. Later on in the church of Ephesus, Paul addresses a similar issue. Jews and Gentiles alike approach God in the same manner, not through conformity to the law, but through one's pursuit after Jesus. That is where the Spirit changes hearts and gives new life. In Ephesians 2, 14-18, this is what Paul says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So the old system, with all of its commandments and regulations, is now gone. 
Again, Paul captures this idea of law being removed to make room for the Spirit of God, as the law could not bring about a new nature, that is, a new heart. This new covenant promise, a changed heart and a new nature, could only be made possible by the Spirit of God. Listen to what Paul addresses to the church in Rome in Romans 7, 4 through 6. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who is raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Later on, he continues this idea in Romans 8, 1 through 4. The result of living in the Spirit? Here. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, God did what the law could not. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. I think the horse is dead by now, but here it is one final time. The Mosaic Law only reveals our true self-serving nature and our need for God to save us from this nature, which is a nature that could never win God's approval. So what's God's solution? Not the law, but Jesus, who has brought about the new covenant promise through his death and resurrection, a promise of a new heart that fully pleases God. And that new heart A new nature that wants what God wants can only come from a life guided by the Spirit of God. This is one of the biggest issues both Paul and Barnabas will face for the remainder of their ministries. Yes, there are many more dad saves to come. It's a biggie that Paul repeatedly addresses through nearly each of his letters. The church, the followers of Jesus, will be governed not by the law of Moses, but by the Spirit of God. Here's an important side note. Unfortunately, the church has allowed new rules to creep in over the years. Rules that are very similar to those found in the Law of Moses. Why? Because law is easier to grasp and understand than is a life that is under the direction of the Spirit of God. Consequently, the universal church has plummeted, then resurged, and then plummeted again due to this ever-creeping tendency to reintroduce the law or some variant thereof back into its internal culture. Fortunately, God continues to spring about new blooms of the Spirit-directed life, and I suspect He will continue to do so until His return. May you make Jesus your passion. May you spend more time learning from and following him, ever trusting that the Spirit of God will refashion you into the person God wants you to be. Now, go 
get started. Thank you.